This Yat let's take a look at Sichas Ran Ayin Gimel, which is where we're holding in our exploration of Rabbi Nachman's remarkable teaching. And I'm so grateful that all of you are with me. So thank you for taking of your precious time to join us together in this holy endeavor of studying the words of this towering tzaddik, our guide. So Rabbi Nachman says the following, Yesh tzaddikim, there are righteous people, shemegalin va'oimrim tekef mashahim roim. They immediately reveal what it is that they see. Which is a strange word, mashahim roim. What does it mean, roim? What are they seeing? What are they seeing that other people aren't seeing? What does it mean that they reveal immediately what they see? It's an interesting thing we'll talk about in a minute. But Rabbi Nachman says that these tzaddikim who immediately reveal what they see, they see something and just have to immediately talk about it to others. He says, Ve'elu tzaddikim, these kinds of tzaddikim, nishmasam, their souls, mansapach. Their souls are rooted in these five letters, mansapach, mem, nun, tzadi, pe, chaf, which are pronounced menatzpach or mansapach. Now, what's unique about these letters? Why are these five letters in a group on their own singled out among the 22 letters of the Aleph Beis, or in this case, the 27 letters of the Aleph Beis, which sort of gives it away, because there are really 22 letters of the Aleph Beis, but we say that there are 27 because five of those letters are double letters. And we refer to any one of those letters in its form as part of this category, Mansapach, as the Mem Sofit, or in Yiddish, the Endemem. I don't know if there's an English terminology, by the way, for that. Um, I'm interested to know if they teach Aleph Beis, um, how, they, how they refer to it. But it's, it's either a, a Mem Sofit or an Endemem, but it's the doubled letter. So the Mem has two forms. It has the form of a regular Mem or an endemem or a mem sofit, which is a, a square, a boxed-in letter. Or you have a nun in its simple form as it appears here, or its elongated form. And that we refer to again as an endenun or a nun sofit, and the same for the other letters. These are the letters that emerge in their secondary form when they are found at the very end of a word. So if you have a word, a mayim, the first mem is going to be the mem patuach. It's the open mem. It's the regular mem. And then you have the mem that is sasum, the closed mem at the end of the word. And those letters are going to be called mem nun tzadi peiches mansapach. These are five unique letters of all the letters of the Aleph Beis that have a doubled kind of form. And vezehu, and this is what's interpreted, it's a pasuk, but it's interpreted, not a pasuk, it's a gemara in which chazal reveal that these five letters, Tsaifim Amarum, Mansapach, these five letters of the Aleph Beis, the Nevi'im, Tsaifim, those who saw Amarum, they were the ones that revealed these five letters. Either they instituted them, or the Gemara comes around to say that, no, they didn't institute them, because already you find that Mem and Samach Shabaluchas Beneis Hayu Aimdim, Chazal say that these two letters that emerge in the in the Ten Commandments, the Aser Sedibras, the Mem and the Samach, stood in a miraculous fashion, and the regular mem doesn't need to have a miracle to allow it to stand on its own because it can be connected on the sides. But in order to have, and, and because they were etched through the letters, right, rather. It's really because they were etched through, so they don't need to be connected in any way. However, the mem and the samach 
in order to have been hanging in some way in a miraculous fashion, if they were etched through, it would have to be the secondary men and the secondary samach, which need, if they're etched, so they need to have a little bit of stone in the middle so that it can stand out as the, the end of mem or the end of samach, right? The mem or samach sofit. And so Chazal say, well, it can't be that the Nevi'im, that the prophets are the ones that instituted these five secondary or closing letters because we already find that in the Aseris HaDibris, we had these two letters. And so Chazal come around, the Maskan of the Gemara there in Shabbos, I believe it's Tafkuf Gimel Amir Aleph, I believe Chazal say that they were forgotten and then the Nevi'im reestablished these letters. But Al-Kalpan and Rabbi Nachman is making some kind of drasha in the words of this Gemara. Because on a simple level, Chazal mean to tell us that these five letters, Mem, Nun, Sadi, Pei, Chav, Manatzpach or Mansapach, were either instituted or re-instituted by the Nevi'im. And that's what they say in these three words, Mansapach, these five letters, Saifim Amarum, the Nevi'im, were the ones that instituted or reinstituted them. But Rabbi Nachman is making a drasha. And he's saying that these tzaddikim that constantly need to tell over what they see immediately after they see what they see, what, what that is we'll talk about, their souls must be rooted in these five letters. Because look at the Gemara, but let's read it the way that Rabbi Nachman reads it. Mansapach, these five letters, tzaifim amarum, are the root of those who see things, tzaifim, and then amarum. And then immediately they, they say over what they see. So it doesn't simply mean, as the Gemara means in a literal level, that mansabach, these five letters, tzaifim amarum, the prophets instituted them. That's how you read it on a regular level. Tzaifim means the neviim, amarum means instituted. Rabbi Nachman takes a little bit of a poetic license here and reads it al piremes to say that these three words are actually relating or, or, or referring to a certain kind of tzaddik, that whatever he's tzaifim, whatever he sees, amarum, he immediately needs to tell over. And where does tzaifim amarum come from? Why would a tzaddik be in such a way that whatever he perceives in a spiritual sense of insight, he immediately needs to talk about it to others? Because mansapach, tzaifim amarum, his soul must be rooted in these five letters. What are these five letters? Says Rabbi Nachman, these souls, these righteous tzaddikim that are rooted in these five letters, mem nun sadi pechaf, which is a reference to a state of constriction, as is known, and as makes sense on a very simple level, because if you have a letter at the end of a word, what does that mean? It means that this letter is relating to stoppage, to blockage. In its regular form, the mem could appear anywhere in the middle of a word and it doesn't prevent the word from continuing to flow. But anytime you see one of these end letters, that's what it means. It's the end of the word. And so it's a stopping point. It, re- it, it refers to tzimtzum, to constriction, to that which withholds. So he says, therefore, if a person or tzaddik is connected to this root of mem nun sadi pechaf, and that's the root of his soul or her soul. So then masharoyim v'tzoyfim, whatever they see, heim oimrim, they immediately have to tell it because ve'enam yichodim lahachzik etzlam. It's as if their vessel is too narrow to allow what they see to settle and to stay. And so their souls are rooted in a place of constriction. And so whatever comes down upon them, there's no place for it to settle. They immediately have to spill, spill the beans, right? And to, and to tell somebody else um, what's happening. 
So that's the Indian of Rabbi Nachman's remez over here, Mansapach Tsoifim Amarum. When a person's soul is rooted in these five letters that are relating to the concept of constriction, then Tsoifim Amarum. Whatever they see, they have to immediately tell over. Their souls come from a higher madrega. Their souls come not from a place of tzimtzum, but their souls come from a place of harchava, of an expanse. And those tzadikim, whatever they see, stays with them, percolates, is able to settle, and they can choose when is the right time to divulge their vision which of course is referring, now we can talk about what the vision is, is of course referring to some kind of spiritual insight or perception or experience that the tzaddik has. They're able to hold it in. They don't need to say it over right away. One wonders how long before Rabbi Nachman told the tale of the seven beggars, Rabbi Nachman received that tale, as he told us he did, from a heavenly chamber above. Who knows? It seems unlikely that Ibn Achman thought up the story of the lost princess one night, and then the very next morning he called his chassidim and he told them the story of the lost princess. It must have been a long period of time, and that's even subjectively re- uh, uh, relative within the very short lifetime that Ibn Achman lived. It couldn't have been that long. But one gets the sense that the teachings of Ibn Achman are teachings that he had space for and he held within himself until the right time. Until the right time. And you're able to tell this also, just on a very basic biographical level, Rabbi Nachman, maybe unlike many of the tzaddikim, didn't have particular set times where he had prepared a shear and now he wanted to give it. There were three times a year that the Breslover Hasidim would gather. Those are the major lessons in Likutim Maran, the very long lessons. And those three times during the year were um, Shavuos, we're coming up to Shavuos now is a time for a big lesson. For example, Tarun and Vav in Likut Tamaran, the 56th lesson, which is very long and very glorious. Um, Hester, Hastara, Batei Hastara, that Torah was, was um, Yemeya Bikurim, was a Shavuos Torah. Um, and then there were Torahs, of course, that were given over on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. I'm sorry, as the, as the first afternoon of Rosh Hashanah, as the first day was moving into the second day, Rabbi Nachman would give a major lesson. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the third time was Shabbos Chanukah, I believe. So there were three times that Rabbi Nachman gave over Torah. But so often, and this is what's so unique about Kisvei Breslov, so often the teachings were just in the spur of the moment. Oftentimes in reaction to something that was happening at the time, something that somebody was talking about, just that Rabbi Nachman couldn't have prepared for. And it seems like he just had ready-made lessons, just ready to go, uh, that he just spit out at the, at the spur of a moment. And these were totally original. And it wasn't as if in this moment, okay, he was channeling something. He had, he had these teachings, but they, they had to wait for the right time so that Rabbi Nachman could teach not only in a didactic, educational sense in order to give over information, but Rabbi Nachman's teachings were channels of healing. They were channels of insight. And it's not always the right time for this medication. Sometimes you need to take a different medication. So if it's, if it's, if it's, if it's an aspect of you know, like a textbook information. So then you just, just give me the, give me the goods, you know, just, just let me have the information. But by Rabbi Nachman, it's not that way. Everything had to be in its exact time. You should know also parenthetically that Rabbi Nachman in general, because we're learning his Torah now, 
and because it may be relevant to some of you who are joining today and some of you who are going to be listening to this Be'ezer Hashem, Rabbi Nachman is a, is a, is a access point to a realm of consciousness and elokus and clarity that opens at exactly the right time in your life, not a moment before and not a moment afterwards. There can be people, and I've met them, and I'm sure some of you have met them too, who for decades have just had an uncomfortable feeling about Breslov. They weren't interested or they were even maybe turned off because of certain experiences or certain uh, perceptions that they had about what Breslov is, about who Rabbi Nachman is. And then a situation in their life or a circumstance or a set of circumstances all of a sudden renders this incredible gateway open, open in a way that it's never been. And it's it's always at the right time. It's always at the right time. Nabuch, somebody, somebody sent a message, I think it was last week. Uh, she said, just a message, I don't know who this person is. She says, I'm a young a young uh, lady who, Nabuch, she's been recently um, widowed of her, of her husband and she has four small children. And she said, she said the only thing she could listen to is the, is the Sichas Ran Shir, the Shir. This is what's giving her strength. And maybe, you know, there are, there are moments in life where it's just, okay, now, now it's like you progress in a certain way, not to the next level, but to the next stage in your religious development. And sometimes a person is pushed into, into an experience like that, but one gets the sense that, okay, you know, I'm, I'm ready for it now. And now I need it the most. Everything in Breslov, it happens at the right time. And that's such a big, strong teaching of Rabbi Nachman that things that need to happen, happen when they mamish need to happen. And uh, that's a very special thing. That's a very, very special thing to know. And it could be even the same person that they would have picked up a Breslov book, you know, at one point in their life and they just put it down it wasn't relevant and they'll pick up that same book a couple of years later having gone through a little bit more in life that's usually what it is having been knocked to their knees a little bit more in life that, that's usually what it is and all of a sudden now they have access it'll be the same teachings the same book that they didn't find relevant is now a lifeline for them that's how it works so everything was said at the right time that was Rabbi Nachman's Indian everything at the right time and these are the two kinds of tzaddikim that we're speaking about. Tzaddikim that come from the realm of tzimtzum can only hold space for very little. And so immediately after they gain an insight, they want to run to the street and, and tell everybody about it. By the way, like and we've mentioned this in the past, like Reb Nassim did after hearing Rabbi Nachman's teaching of Taravav, I believe it was, and he started running out to the street to, to tell everyone. And Rabbi Nachman physically restrained him and he held him back. And Rabbi Nachman said, Lozu haderech, this is not the way. You have to know how to let things sit for a bit, simmer for a bit, let things develop. Different kinds of souls. And so the way that I think this could be understood in a, in a way that's a little bit more down to earth and relevant for us is to understand the special nature of holding things in beruchnias. It's our natural inclination, and it may even come from, come from a good place, to want to do something good and then tell everyone about it. it. Might even come from a good place. You're genuinely excited, right? And 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 you want to serve as an example to others, and you want to 
um, um, just share your excitement over the fact that you overcame this and this challenge. Even if it's not, you know, publicly saying it, but just to, you know, call a friend and it slips in, oh, by the way, just, you know, because you have to say it. And the Rebbe says we can develop a broader kind of spiritual inner world when we give ourselves permission to let things sit, to let things stay, you know, because I, I think it goes in both directions, right? I, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not of the belief, Rabbi Nachman wasn't of the belief, Lavdal, between, you know, my belief, but because Rabbi Nachman was not of the belief, therefore I am not of the belief that a person is, uh, is, is defined by where their soul is rooted. Rabbi Nachman believed that you can, you can work, you can do avoda, you can change, you can shift. And so, sure, Souls that are naturally rooted in a place of tzimtzum are more likely to want to just, you know, so to speak, vomit, you know, but I mean it in a positive sense, you know, everything that they're, that they're, that they're doing that's positive or everything that they see or read or understand and they want to get it out there. Um, and that's good and that's holy, but that's a certain kind of level. I think that we can also use our freedom of choice to develop a more expansive soul when we consciously withhold from following that natural inclination to share what it is that we've done or what we've learned or what we've, uh, you know, the level that we've reached, to make a conscious decision. All of us can do this. And I know this particularly with this group because all of us do so many good things. I, I know that. There's so many things that you'll do good today. Watch that inner voice. I don't know, again, I don't know if it's a good voice or a bad voice. I'm not saying it's coming from a place of ego. It could be coming from a good place. Rabbi Nachman is saying, okay, that's good, but there's better. We, we always want to aim for the best, right? Or try to at least. See if you and me, and I, I mean this for myself also, I struggle with this a lot, to, to, to consciously withhold. But Ezra Hashem, all of you, <laughs> it's a strange thing to bless you with, but I, I bless you with a challenge today. You know, you don't need my blessing for a challenge. The blessing of challenges will come upon you irrespective of my blessing or not. That's just the way it works. But I, I, I bless you that you'll overcome the challenge. After you overcome the challenge, keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. And see the way that your soul expands. See the way that a little bit you pull out of this constricted definition, soul definition of mansapach, the end of the letters, and see how a little bit you become bigger. You become bigger. Mamish bigger in every sense. You become broader. You become more expansive of a person. And it's a muscle that we build over time. This also goes hand in hand, by the way, with the concept that we also find in Rabbi Nachman and other places of just simply not rushing things. Not rushing things, not rushing processes of growth, not moving faster than we need to move. There's no chiv to learn something and then immediately find a way to give it over to something to somebody else. There's no chiv. I believe there is a chiv to eventually give things over. I think all of us are so much more capable in expressing things than we than we like to believe. And I think that all of us have so many people out there that we can genuinely give to who, who are just thirsting for some of the most basic concepts that we have and we think, well, what do I have to teach? No, you know that I'm a, I'm a believer that all of us need to be mashpiyam. I've spoken about this so much. All of us have to give, give over. I mean, all of us have what to give over. But nobody said that it needs to be now. Wait a day. Let it, let it sink in. 
go a little bit slower with the process. That, that should be the process. Eventually, you'll get to a place where you want to give it over. But elongate that period of time. Go a little bit slower. Let the process naturally evolve. And the more that we do this, so it's like a balloon, you know, it takes in air. And if it's immediately letting all the air out, and then maybe it'll take a little bit more air, air in, so it remains the same size balloon. But imagine a balloon that whew, you blow air in and then hold it. And then, okay, the next time you overcome a challenge, you're blowing more air into the balloon. What happens to the balloon? It gets bigger. And that's a good conceptualization of this. Imagine every time you, you, you withhold from looking where you're not supposed to look. You withhold from saying what you're not supposed to say. You, want, you had something on your tongue. You don't have to let the person know, oh, I, oh, I have something to say, but it's Lashon Hara, and I'll not hold. You don't, just avoid it. Avoid it entirely. Your balloon just got a little bit bigger. And you hold it in, and it sinks in, saturates your being. You'll do another thing good. The balloon gets a little bit bigger. And to make this a little bit more concrete, you and I even have the potential or the opportunity to literally embody this by taking a very deep breath, a deep breath into the balloons that are our lungs. When we do something good and we... And we we consciously withhold ourselves from, from, from saying it. In that moment that you remember this teaching, take a, take a deep breath. And imagine yourself becoming a bit bigger. Imagine yourself breaking free from these five constricted letters and breaking mamish into, a, into an expanse. And then each time, the balloon gets a bit bigger, a bit bigger, we get bigger. There are so many positive, just pragmatic positive elements to this that we don't need anybody else's validation to know that we're, we're doing great, you know? Because that's sometimes the motivation for needing to tell over to somebody else because if I don't tell it to somebody else, so what value was there in doing a good thing if I'm not able to get somebody else's external validation of my having done a good thing to give me uh, a sense that I matter? We don't need that. Do a good thing because doing a good thing is a good thing. It's the right thing. And we can hold it within ourselves and puff out our chest with pride. Within our inner world. So there are many positive aspects of this. And uh, this is the teaching that I think is relevant for all of us. We, we get to choose. We do get to choose. Rabbi Nachman wasn't a, you know, a, a, a determinist. He didn't believe that things are the way that things are. This is actually maybe one of the ways that Rabbi Nachman diverged from the philosophy of the Balatanya, which after learning Tanya, Rabbi Nachman said that he agrees with everything in the Sefer, but there was one thing that he, that he found deviated from his personal philosophy. It didn't mean that it's less true, but in terms of his teaching for those that were open to it. And it's speculative, but I think that we might suggest that one of the points of contention, if you can use that word, it's not contention, one of the points of departure where that while the Balatanya speaks very much about different kinds of souls, the, the tzaddik soul and the bainini soul and the Russia soul and the, the, the impact of a person's you know, parents on, on their nature, and not that the Balatanya holds it's impossible to overcome that, it's a little bit more complicated, but very much what, what kind of soul a person is. Rabbi Nachman believed that no matter what kind of soul you are, with the right work and the right following the advice of tzaddikim, connecting to tzaddikim, and making the right choices that are right each and every moment of your life, the next right step, 
relative to your journey, you can change. I mean, Achman believed that you could change. He said, if you, he told us Hasidim, he said, if you follow my path and follow my advice, he said, you can become a righteous person. He said, he used these words, Kamoini Mamish. He said, literally like me. We can all be Rabbi Nachman's. Mamish. Mamish like, like me, he said, um, to, to reach very elevated, lofty levels, right? And so this is a, a, very, a very beautiful thing to be able to look at these two um, constructs. Obviously, we hear he's speaking about great tzaddikim, but I'm just making it a little bit more personal for ourselves and decide which path we want to take. Do we want to be, it could be still very holy, you're doing all the right things, but it's in a constricted way, or do we want to try to be big, expansive people? That's Sichas Ran Ayin Gimel. Let's jump into Sichas Ran Ayin Dalid, the 74th lesson in this beautiful, remarkable Sefer. Bursting with wisdom to help us navigate daily life in our postmodern era, 2023. So the Heli says like this, back to the concept and the topic of tefillah, which our previous year was, was about, right? Distracting thoughts in tefillah. So there we talked about when a person is in shul and they're davening and they're just getting distracted, all these different thoughts. So what should they do, right? We, and we spoke about that. Um, and we spoke about some practical pieces of advice which, uh, which hopefully you found helpful if, if you should have had opportunity to put them into practice, right? To push through the crowd and get to, get to Hashem, so to speak. But over here, Rabbi Nachman says, well, what about if a person doesn't even have the opportunity to have distracting thoughts during davening because he doesn't really feel like davening at all? He has no interest in davening. It's not a matter of distracting thoughts where he wants to daven and he's, he's getting distracted, he just, he, he's, he doesn't have any passion for it. He'd rather not be there. Just not feeling connected to davening at all. And it's okay to, to say that we, we all know what that feels like, right? We'd be lying if we, if we pretended that we never have experiences like this, right? We often have experiences like this. I neglected to mention, I once went to a shir by who I consider to be my Rebbe in Lakutim Rana of Tzvi Cheshen Shlita of the Mir Yeshiva. And I, and I used to go to his shir as a bacher, and I, I still listen to his shir now. So I was sitting there at one time, and he was learning a Torah from Lukutimran. Can't remember exactly which now, but Rabbi Nachman says over there, he asks a question. He begins the piece fra- fra- with this phraseology of the question. He says, where does it come from that a person should experience machshavazaris, distracting thoughts, during tefillah? It's like... Like what? 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 How does that even happen? A person's literally davening Tashem and distracting thoughts. Where do they come from? Rabbi Nachman develops a theme over there. So Rabbi Cheshen said, if we're being honest with ourselves, we have to ask the question a little bit differently. We have to ask a question for us: Where does a little bit of tefillah enter into our session of distracting thoughts? Right? If we're being honest, it's not that distracting thoughts hit us when we're davening. It's that maybe a little bit of davening can hit us when we're thinking about everything in the world. But tefillah, that's our experience. So it's the same thing here. Let's. Let's be honest, right? Um, we all have this experience. There are times that a person has no passion. What should he do? Says the Rebbe, we are not victims of circumstance. Rabbi Nachman did not believe that a person is a victim of his or her circumstance. They may be conditioned in certain ways that have led to their situation developing in the way that or ways that it has developed. But they are not a victim to that. Meaning to say, there is always a, a next right step. 
We spoke about this recently in another shir that I gave Sunday night, um, I think last week, in what's called Chabura Sabal Shem, where we're going through some teachings in Lukut Ramadan that's only on SoundCloud, that Chabura. We spoke about everything being relative, right? And there's no objective standard for what serving Hashem needs to look like for every individual. There's just the next step that's right for you in your situation. Given your story, your journey, your limiting factors, uh, uh, your, your past and your present and your future, just the world that is you. So you have a next right step. But Rabbi Nachman believed that you can take that next right step. And that's how he defined Bechira. We've learned this in the past. In Lakut Imran, where Rabbi Nassim records a chassid as having come to Rabbi Nachman and asked him, what's, what's Bechira? Like what, how would you define Bechira? And Rabbi Nachman said, It's as simple as this. You can do what you want to do. You can do what you want to do. And even if we cannot, because of certain objectively limiting factors, manage in one fell swoop to, to, to access everything that we want, we can take a step in the direction of what we want to do. And that step might differ for each person dealing with what they're dealing with. Each of us know what the next right step is if we want to develop and if we want to grow and if we want to mold a schedule that's going to be uh, effective in our spiritual growth and our development. We all know what we need to do. And if, if a person can't, uh, let's just use a dieting muscle, cut out all carbs and all sugar because it's way too dramatic and it might not be healthy in the long run or whatever it is, but a person can take one step in the right direction of eating a little bit more healthy, right? And, and, and so it goes. All of us know we have a next right step. So Rabbi Nachman says, you're not a victim of your circumstance. So many times we think that if this is the situation that I'm in, this is the situation, how do I deal with it? Rabbi Nachman says, it's not a matter of dealing with an objective situation that you are currently subjected to. It's a matter of saying, well, what can I choose here that can actually change the situation? Change the situation. Not that you have a deal with it, but change the situation. Says the Rebbe, Good. You don't have any passion to tefillah? Make some. Get some, right? Well, that's the problem. I don't have any. Says Rabbi Nachman, you're not a victim. So don't sit there and kvetch about it and say, well, listen, maybe tomorrow I'll be in the mood. Get in the mood. And the Rebbe says, you can do that. You can take active steps to get in the mood. But it's a paradox because I'm not in the mood. So in order to get in the mood, I have to be in the mood to get in the mood and I'm not in the mood. So it's, it's a paradox, right? It's, it, it doesn't start. I don't want to get in the mood. Says Rabbi Nachman, ah, you don't want to get in the mood. But you're conscious of the fact that you have no, no passion during davening. And you'd admit on an objectively rational level that it's probably better for you to be focusing, excited about what you're doing because you're doing it anyway. Because you're in shul and there's a chiv and you're going to be doing this anyway. You'd rather feel something, even though right in this moment you, you don't feel anything at all. Says the Rebbe, that, that's, that's all you need. That's all you need. We're not asking you to get in the mood. We're acting you to act as if you're in the mood. Rabbi Nachman says that everybody can do. Just act as if. Even if you're not in the mood. Act as if you're in the mood. And here Rabbi Nachman says, for example, Sometimes you see that a person gets himself angry until he starts to act 
with a tremendous temper. That people in, in, say in Yiddish, if they're observing such a thing, they say, You ever heard this word? They, they work themselves up into a temper tantrum, right? A kid can, can work themselves up, get themselves worked up, even though th- there's nothing so bad that's happening here. And maybe even their initial reaction was not so dramatic. But slowly but surely, a kid could work himself up into a tantrum, and so can adults. The same thing is true. The contrast in a way of holiness. A person can work themselves up into a, into a storm, into a spiritual storm of passion. We can do this. We can act as if we're, we're passionate and, and say the words with with, with Pretend feeling, ki'ilu, we're feeling it. Just like a person works themselves up into a temper tantrum, and through this, you will eventually come to feel this way in truth. Even though you didn't think it was possible, even though in truth you weren't feeling this, says Rabbi Nachman, don't submit to that circumstance. Start acting as if, and a miraculous thing happens before you know it. You mean it. And before you know it, the gates open. And such a person will merit that his or her heart will burn with tremendous fire and passion toward Hashem. And before they know it, they, they weren't even conscious of the transition. Uh, at what point exactly it switched over from being pretend to, to actually being heartfelt. But you did something about it. You're alive, you're breathing, Baruch Hashem. You're healthy, you have hands that move and you have a, a heart that beats. You can you can daven, you can daven in kiilu. And then Rabbi Nachman expands this to the concept of simcha. The chain bein in a simcha, the same is true for joy. We know from the Ariyah Kadesh that tefillah needs to be in, in a state of joy, and and joy is a little bit of a limited definition of that word simcha needs to be in a state of, of hope. Isn't that the premise of tefillah? How could a person come to tefillah from a place of not clinical depression, a person needs medication for something else, but how could a person come to tefillah from a place of, of hopelessness and despair? That's the opposite of tefillah. So then what are you davening? Right? It, it's, it's a stira mine ube. It's an it's a, it's a, it's a inter-contradiction. To be able to come to tefillah from a place of emuna, from a place of hope, from a place of believing that things can change, that's tefillah. So tefillah needs to be, of course, with tremendous simcha. But what happens if a person isn't feeling happy? What happens if a person isn't feeling hopeful? This is a very deep secret. Says the Rebbe, A person can force themselves, Try as much as you can. Over here it's a little bit different because not act as if you're happy, which is also a very deep thing. Act as if there is hope. But to try to make yourself feel a feeling of positivity in whatever way that you can. Whatever is going to do it for you. And specifically at the time of tefillah, like we said, when we need so much hope in order to daven in the first place, how could I how could I daven properly if I feel weighed down by an impossibly onerous and and and, and heavy load? I can't. 
So the Rebbe says, remember what we spoke about, the famous Torah, Rish Pebez, 282 of Lakutim which is the teaching of the Nikuda Tova, right? Of finding a good point in yourself. And that lightens the load. And you remember hope is not lost because the, I still have a good point. And I still have an essence of Kedusha. It may be concealed behind many layers of filth and, and, and darkness and ash of the coal that's starting to burn out. But the embers that are still alive. Deep within the Pasig and Shira Shirim, Aniyashena. Sure, on one level I look like I'm sleeping, but Valibi error, but my heart is awake. And when we think such thoughts and we remember such feelings, and we understand that there is a consciousness that goes beyond my consciousness. And so even when I'm not in the mood, but who's that I that is not in the mood? That's the Aniyashena part of me. But to be aware and to understand that even if we're not conscious of it, Valibi error. My heart is awake. There's a me, so to speak, that's mamish awake. And that wants to daven with passion. That wants to believe that there's hope. And so, entertain that notion of the subconscious consciousness. Treat its needs, even when the consciousness is, is screaming that it, that it needs to break away in the opposite direction. Azamr lelakai ba'oidi, Rabbi Nachman says, how, do, how are we going to daven? Azamr lelakai. How does a Jew come to daven from a place of simcha, which is the only way to daven, from a place of hope? Says the Rebbe ba'oidi. Ba'oidi, if you remember the context of that lesson over there, ba'oidi, oid, can mean a li- just a little bit more. I sing to Hashem when I realize I am more than what I appear to be on the surface. And that means even in this moment, of tefillah, where I don't feel like davening, that's the ani yeshena part of me. That's the sleeping part of me that doesn't feel like davening. But there's a part of me that wants nothing more than to sing out nishmas kolchai. That there's a part of me that always wants that. So azamr lelekai, how can I come to sing to Hakadosh Baruch Hu be'aidi when I recognize that there's more to me than meets the eye? There's more to my experience than what I'm personally experiencing right now on the levels of my revealed emotions, which is a, a, a tiny percentage of this vast universe that is the human soul with nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaya, yechida, beyond. It's a tiny, tiny chalik of me is bored, disinterested. That's the most external part of me. But ba'aydi, if there's more to me, ba'aydi, just a little bit more, there, there's, there's more to see here than, than azamr lelikai. Then I can strengthen myself, encourage myself, access that part of me that still believes in hope, access that part of me that still believes in joy, that wants to sing, and bring that to the surface. V'im l'fa'amim da'itim avulbal, says Rabbi Nachman a little bit further, if at times a person's mind is confused, and he, he just, he can't find any way, even with these kinds of chizuk ideas, perspectives, expanded levels of consciousness, it's not working. Says the Rebbe again, Pretend. Pretend to be besimcha. And you'll find very, very, very often, and I can attest to this, even though you come home from working, you don't feel like smiling, but you have your kids that expect you to be there for them. And you put a smile on your face, and you leave work at work, 
and you pretend like everything's okay, within a very short matter of time, when you put on a smile and you pretend to, to, to be okay, it's a very, very deep side, it's a very deep secret. Through this itself, this is a way of getting out of the experience where you feel that joy is being withheld from you. Act as if. Act as if. And this is the way that we can break into a realm of joy. Baduk umanusa. I can attest to this in my own life. Now I want to just mention, because it's important, that Rabbi Nachman is not telling us not to feel emotion. Sometimes people make the mistake of thinking that Breslov theology, uh, you know, positive psychology, let's say, is, is, is emotion numbing, right? There's a spectrum of human uh, uh, experience. And along that spectrum is feelings. It says real feelings. Um, feeling angry, feeling apprehensive, feeling fearful, feeling anxious, uh, feeling, feeling resentful, um, feeling confused. Uh, there are many, many feelings. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu created all of them. And sometimes it could be very not healthy or very unhealthy to suppress those feelings because, well, simcha, simcha, simcha. And so just, I have to just put on a smile and carry on like everything's okay and, and, uh, and, 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 and just you know, ignore the feelings that I'm feeling or avoid this difficult situation because it might, it might, you know, it might be too painful. So Rabbi Nachman is not saying any of that. The, the, the pretending to be besimcha is not intended to cause us to avoid feeling through what we need to feel in a healthy way, what we need to process, what we need to be real with and authentic with in a constructive way. But Rabbi Nachman says, be very discerning with regard to whether things are truly constructive or destructive. And there are certain times in life whether it's you know just the day-to-day things where there is a realm of working on simcha, right? Where where we know that really it's an amuna thing, it's not a chemical imbalance, and and it's not anything deeper that needs to be grieved through. It, it's just it's it's the small frustrations of daily life. It's it's just feeling tired at the end of a long day. It, it's, it's nothing that that deep. So over here, it's a realm of nisayon, or at a time of tefillah. Where it's 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 preventing me from davening. So right now is not the time to feel all those feelings. Even though I need to feel through those feelings, right now is not the time for that. Like the Balatanya says, there, there will be a time for that. Rabbi Nachman says, set an hour aside a day to really feel what you're feeling. Espodidus and to talk that out in your own language to Hashem like you would to your best friend. That's all cool. That exists. That's real. That's healthy and that's important. But when we're being honest with ourselves and we say, you know, I I, I really could take the next step. I really could work on this. This is something to work on. It's, it's okay to say that too. And it doesn't detract from authenticity. You know, we live in a generation, which is, Baruch Hashem, it's a beautiful thing. And I think MS is emerging where personal authenticity or vulnerability is a, is a major thing. And it is a major thing. It really is a major thing on many levels. Societally, it's, it's, it's so important. Within, within relationships, it's so important for the person's own sense of self and the person's own psyche and categories for what's really important and not so important and the images that we try to project and the strategies that we use to enable us to survive. But in a very, instead of thriving, vulnerability is so key. 
It presupposes so many important and healthy perspectives about the self and the world and the human condition. And the corollary to a focus on vulnerability doesn't then mean that it's never okay to to work on something and that it's never okay to both accept the situation as it is and analyze and 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 be totally clear with what's going on, which we've talked about in the pre in the previous few shiurim, and that's ms and that's good, but also to recognize that that doesn't mean that I, I have to stay here. I have to also be authentic about what's on my shoulders to change, or to help shift, or to cause to evolve. And that's the next step in our society. First, getting totally, totally open and honest and, and aware of our issues and open about them so that we can share the space of, of, of the human experience in, in, a, in, a, in a clearer way, in a healthier way, in a more honest way, in a more humble way. We spoke around Pesach time about matzah vis-a-vis chametz. That, that's, that's such a healing already. That, that's huge. And then the next step is for everyone to say, okay, after we've accepted that this is called being human and we, we're okay with this and we're honest with this. We're not trying to pretend as if we're perfect and we're not trying to pretend as if things are the way that they're not. The next step is, okay, well, let's start to encourage us to work on the things that all of us can work on. And like I'll, re- I'll refer you to earlier on this year when we said, my next step doesn't have to look like your next step. There's no objective standard, but there is a next step for you. And there is a next step for me, irrespective of, what is going on in our lives which we're hopefully okay addressing and being open about and talking about to others, whether it's our spouses, our children, our, our parents, or our therapists, or our friends, whatever, Rabbeim. But then there comes a point in time where you say, if I'm being really honest at the end of all that sharing, I, I want to be sharing a different story next time around. These two things can exist at once. Acceptance and also moving forward. We call this in Breslov philosophy, in, 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 in the Breslov Hasidus, we call this Ratzai v'shoiv. Shoiv means to settle, and that's the aspect in which we settle into life. We take a clear um, inventory, to use 12-step language, we take a clear assessment of what's, what's happening, and we, are, we, we acknowledge that this is what's happening, and, that, and that's okay. We don't beat ourselves up. We don't. We don't regret, and we don't. We don't fall into despair. And we recognize Hashem is here too. And this is now the battlefield, and this is the playing ground, and like this is. This is where I'm supposed to be in some crazy way. That that's called shayv. It's acceptance. But then from that place, okay, now depart. And that's called ratzay. Now we want to move forward. And there can be different points in our day when we oscillate that, between these two things, ratzay shayv. I accept things. I'm rooted in my awareness of the fact that things are just the way things are. And that's okay. And I realize Hashem is with me in this. He's brought me to this place. This is now where He wants me. But why does He want me here? Okay, what's my next step from this place? 
So Rabbi Nachman is not telling us to numb our emotions. Rabbi Nachman is not telling us to pretend as if everything's okay when nothing's okay. Rabbi Nachman is not telling us not to cry when we need a good cry. Rabbi Nachman is not telling us not to feel, not to admit to ourselves that we feel scared, which is really at the root of so many of our other emotions that we feel, whether it's anger or 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 cynicism or uh, uh, anxious. So so many feeling. It just means that we're we're scared, and and it's okay to feel scared. Rabbi Nachman is not telling us not to feel these things, but the Rebbe is saying, take stock of those places in your life that represent your next step in the realm of your, your perspective, in the realm of your um, mindset, and see if you can't move forward in these areas. While preserving your story, your narrative, respecting the journey, but also saying, you know, it's, it's, it's a really high time in my life that I... I take a next step forward. And the Rebbe says, well, here's one. Pretend to be happy. Pretend to be happy, even though you have every right in the world to not, to not feel that way. Pretend to be, to be happy. Put a smile on your face. Invest yourself fully in relationships, even though sometimes you feel like you, you, don't, you don't have that much to give. And watch the way in which your bucket becomes filled by filling the buckets of others. When you can, when you know very deep inside of you that this is the right thing, this is the right next step, you're not a victim to your, to your circumstances. And the Rebbe ends over here, This is a very important piece of advice. Even if you're not on the level, pretend to be. Start acting ki'ilu, as if. First, a person needs to position themselves in such a way where they, 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 they pretend as if they, they really care about this stuff. And then eventually, it turns out you really care about this stuff. And the Rebbe says, understand this very, very, very well. Understand this deeply. Because there's a tremendous depth here. In that, Rabbi Nachman is communicating to us that reality is anyway an illusion. It's anyway an illusion. And so in the sense of it anyway being an illusion, is there any difference between an illusory illusion and an illusion that is on some level a little bit more real uh, what is real and what is not real the reality is that you're a soul that's a spark of god that was sent to this world to experience separate consciousness for the purpose of illuminating the uh, the world with that spark of consciousness recognizing the godliness in other people and in the world and so and in so doing bring the world to a to a, to a place of greater um, evolution and illumination but the whole thing is a little bit of a of a, of a game the whole thing is a little bit of it. Even when you're feeling passionate about feel it's a bit of a game. So the Rebbe says, like the, so, so is it really that different than if you pretend to be passionate about tefillah? Anyway, the whole thing's pretending. You and I are always pretending. To be human is to pretend. The soul is pretending. So then what difference really is there? There's more depth to this. I'm giving over just a little bit layers of how to understand this. Rabbi Nachman says clearly, this is, this is deeper than it appears. 
But that's what's so beautiful about the Rebbe always is that the deepest things look very simple because it's just a practical advice. And the simplest things are, are really very deep. Very, very deep. So we don't have time now to go into the Sefer HaChinuch. We're going to end. We started a bit late. But I'll send out the uh, the source sheets. If you can, try to take a look at this Sefer HaChinuch. It's translated on Safaria. You could just look it up if you need the English, but if you're okay with the Hebrew. This is a V, really the fundamental source for the concept that external actions impact internal feelings, which is the model that Rabbi Nachman is using here. Start pretending as if, and before you know it, it'll, it'll turn out to be something that you actually are experiencing. And so really, if you can, take a look at, uh, at this piece because it's fundamental. All the tzaddikim quoted, the Kedushas Levi, for example, and Kedushas Lachanukah, Kedushas Hamishas, when he speaks about this idea, quotes this chinuch. The Mesil Sasharim also discusses this. I don't know if he quotes the chinuch, but this is, this is where the idea comes from. And, and he encourages us to try to hang around just good people, even if we don't feel we're at the level. It, fine, it's it's fine. Just try to try to associate with good yidin. Uh, try to 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 pretend as if, so to speak, you're, you're feeling things that you know you're, you're really not feeling. But again, it's all pretend, and see how quickly. Like I said, you won't even be able to recognize when things changed. The, the transformation happens before you know it. Your true self begins to shine. The libi air. We start to disassociate ourselves from the Ani Yishenu. We say, sure, that's a part of me, but that's the most external part of me. The true part of me, the MS, the MS, the MS, <laughs> the illusion of the illusion of the illusion, whatever MS is, whatever illusions are, it wants good. It wants good. Now we have a Heliga Yid here, a Heliga Levi, who just, mamish, mamish, just had a beautiful baby girl. So we want to wish him Mazel Tov. And we even have the privilege of her joining our Sikha Saranshir. So she's, this is maybe her first Rabbi Nachman, I don't know. Um, but I just want to take, take stock of this opportunity, first of all, to wish Levi a Mazel Tov. You should see tremendous amount of Nachas, Bezer Hashem. And second, to understand that each one of us right now, as we are, even if we're sitting alone, we are the image that we see in this box. Meaning, we are. Not, I don't mean that we're carrying babies because you might not be carrying a baby, but you are both Levi and the baby. <laughs> Meaning, each and every one of us have an aspect of, of an adult and mamish we have inside of us, mamish the spark of Kedusha and Tara that Levi wants to do nothing but hold so gently and just look at and, and marvel at. It's mamish a miracle. We have that inside of us. We mamish have a, a piece of Kedusha, of untainted holiness, Libi error. Libi er, and that's the truth. That's always the truth. Rabbi Nachman wanted us to, to shift away from seeing ourselves on the outside. And mamish, look, not the Chavz Hashem Levi is on Yeshena, although I'm sure he's very tired. <laughs> but, um, but we have to look mamish, you know, and, and till we find that, that spark of, of Kedusha inside of us. And so that's my bracha to you. That's my bracha to me. We should mamish act in this way, you know, act in this way that we know that the baby inside wants to act, that the spark of Kedusha wants to act. And uh, that's it. You know, take the next right step. Not be a victim to our circumstances. Accept what we need to accept. Deal with what we need to deal with. Be authentic about what we need to be authentic about and vulnerable in sharing it with ourselves and others. But also part of that authenticity is make an honest assessment of your situation. And I'm really preaching. I'm talking, of course, as always to myself. I need to make an assessment of my situation given my limitations that may be outside of my Bechira. And say, okay, but now if this is where 
my outside of my Bechira got me, well, what's my Bechira here? Right? What, so what's my next steps? I can't choose the playing field, but I can choose my next move. We should be zeichet to do so, and in so doing, to take steps in a measured, patient, calm, holy, healthy way toward the manifestation of the godly spark that we have inside of us so we can light up this world. And like the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, Karavelt, we've got to turn the world over. So thank you all for joining. Mazel Tav Levi again. Thank you for joining and thank you for bringing your Heilige Mädel. Thank you so much. We should share Simchas together. Okay. Have an amazing, amazing week. All the best. Thank you.